You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. I love every baptism, but I have to say, the one we had at the lake last week was special. It was the spirit that we brought with us into that moment, and it was also Stephen's story. Stephen is a fisherman who fishes at the lake every week, and so he not only knew the temperature of the lake, but uh, he was being baptized in water he was familiar with, and that's kind of special. And knowing a little of his story and how far he came to get to that moment, also special, and he wrote the most touching testimony online. Maybe you saw it. If you didn't, I'm going to read it for you. I asked his permission. Stephen wrote this, my whole life I've wanted to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This weekend, thanks to my church, I was able to do that. I also became an official member of Mosaic. When you get baptized, it's symbolically going into the water a sinner and coming out a new creation redeemed by Christ. But for me, it was more than just symbolism. I feel like a different person. It's like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders. By the grace of God, I am saved. Yeah. I want to publicly share what Christ has done in my life. I have struggled with suicidal ideation, anxiety, and multiple addictions. In the name of Jesus, I have found salvation. It's been a process that I have taken day by day, but these last four months, God has done so much work in my life. I no longer struggle with suicidal thoughts because God has given my life purpose and meaning. God's love is so much better than any drink or drug. I am a witness, and I can tell you that coming to Jesus was the greatest decision I ever made in my life. What God's done for me, he can do for you. All you have to do is ask him into your life and accept what he did for you on the cross. Salvation is a free gift from God. He loves you more than you will ever know. It's time to come to Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Friend, that's a brand new story from a brand new member, Stephen Holloway. Stephen, will you stand up just real quickly so we can celebrate what God has done in your life? And this is why I love the church. I love it. For the last three days, I've been in Dallas, Texas, with 600 women pastors. 600 women pastors from five different denominations. And the experience left me kind of breathless for what the church can be. I want to read you what I wrote after being at that retreat last weekend, and then so inspired by these women. And I bet I have said this stuff to you a dozen times before, especially in the last year or so, but put up with me while I say it to you one more time. Because this is where my passion is. My passion is for the church of Jesus Christ. And that passion has not dimmed through COVID-inspired deconstruction. It is not dimmed through tough moments in our own church's history. It is not dimmed through countless personal crises of faith, especially at the point of my own capacity to lead. My passion for the church has not dimmed, even as I watch with disappointment the relentless uncivil conflict within the UM Church. 
Any one of those factors could have dulled my spiritual senses, but with each one, my resolve only digs deeper. I love the church. I love our church. I love you people. I love the whole idea of a real community, and I know I need it. It is what holds me in, and I've seen it draw countless others in and hold them in too, and that inspires me. I stand in awe of spirit-driven community. When someone tells me, I need Jesus, or when someone writes, my whole life I've wanted to be baptized in the name of Jesus, when I get the privilege of being in those conversations, I know why God doesn't give up on the church. And I know why I won't either. Authentic Christian community, flesh and blood community is still the best hope for expressing the love and power of Jesus Christ. No, it is not perfect, but it is better by far than the alternative. Disconnection and individualism and self-service don't work for Christians any better than they work for the rest of the world. Those responses may be more comfortable in the short term, but they don't produce anything of lasting value. And I get it that as a pastor, the, my world is dominated by the church. I get that. But I hope I would be able to say these same things, even if I wasn't a pastor, even if I wasn't in leadership in a local church. I hope I'd have the sense to know that the church is still my best hope for spiritual formation, still my best hope for maintaining good relationships, still the best thing going among all the options. I hope I'd have more heart for Christ's community than for my gym buddies or for my favorite sports team. I genuinely hope I wouldn't devalue the church, wouldn't change my mind about it if I didn't get a paycheck for it. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I hope not. And listen, I get how the world works. Not everyone is healthy, but I won't toss stones at the church because someone wasn't raised right <laughs> or because someone was put in a leadership position that they weren't qualified for or ready for. I'm not shaken by bad examples of Christianity any more than I'm moved by comparatively good examples of atheism. The outliers don't change the color of my faith, don't change the fact that God is good and his story has always, always emphasized the gathered body. From Abram's call, to the formation of tribes, to the Israelite exodus, to the New Testament church, to the underground church that thrives in much of the world today, to contemporary tribes. God's story has always been told in community. Real community. Flesh and blood community. The church is not an abstract concept. By definition, it is the gathering of real flesh, real people, the kind of flesh and blood that pulls together and leads Ukrainian refugees across the border, even if it means the rescuers get killed in the process. The kind of community that gets together to pray against the darkness in big rooms like this one and in attic rooms like many Christians gather in Iraq, in Iran, and China. 
the kind of real that holds on to messed up people long past good sense, which is our creed at Mosaic. Not y'all, the other ones we're holding on to. And gives its money to feed and house and diaper and rescue and teach and counsel and care. There's something beautiful that happens when those things are done by people who do them together for no other reason than that they love Jesus Christ. The collection of them becomes greater than the parts. Within themselves, they generate love. The Spirit hovers. Angels show up. Faith is stirred. The kingdom comes near. This is why God loves the church, friends. It is still the best option we have for the welcome and advance of the kingdom of God. And because God loves the church... I'm not discouraged when things go sideways, as they seem to be right now in our own denomination. Irritated? Yes. Discouraged? Absolutely. I'm not discouraged. Disappointed? Disappointed? Absolutely, because I just said I'm not discouraged. I'm not discouraged. I'm just irritated a little bit. But I won't toss up my hands and give up. I want to be part of the solution. I might, not, I might not be able to fix what is broken in a denomination that has been sagging a long time, but I want to be part of a good expression of the church of Jesus Christ. So I will listen for the creative voice of God, and I will follow his trail toward renewal, and I hope you are doing the same thing. This has always been his way. Even at our worst, God has always carved paths that lead his people to fresh expressions and renewed communities. And I don't claim to know God's vision for that kind of church, but I do believe he is looking for more than just someone to talk on Sundays and a bunch of other people to listen. I know the church to be so much more because I have seen you be the church. And so things like last weekend's retreat and Stephen's baptism, well, those are signs of hope for me. It's what we do, you know? This is the story of God. And I believe the kingdom of God will prevail on earth, not in spite of the church, but because of it. Last weekend was a sign of all that's good in the church. It was so full of grace. We remembered that we like each other. Well, most of us like each other. And that we need each other. And all of us need each other. And if you didn't get to go last year, I hope you will set the first weekend in March, next March, aside so you can be there next year. Even though the things in the world are go- or that the world is going through are so big, we are trying to remember together that we serve a bigger God. <laughs> and that his plan is to win the world. The world is the prize, not the problem. And a big gar- God with a big heart calls us to go after that same big heart for the world, for each other, And all of that that I've just said gets us to this funny little story in Acts chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6, the first few verses. We're going to read them together. The best way to engage the message is always with, with your Bible, something to write with so you can take notes and 
hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you while I'm talking. So this is a scene in the life of the early church when the people of God take a moment in the middle of a conflict to remember what it means to be the church. I want you to listen to this passage from Acts 6, beginning with verse 1. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. I want you to circle the word or underline the word increasing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained that the Hebraic, uh, compl- complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Isn't that just a crack up? So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us, the spiritual leaders, to neglect, I want you to underline this, this is huge, to neglect the ministry of the word and, and, uh, and uh, the, sorry, to neglect the ministry of the word of God to, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give, and, and, and I need you to hear this. They're not saying we'll give a secondary thing to them. I want you to hear because in a minute we're going we're to hear it. Um, just give this responsibility to those who are gifted for it. And that gives our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Underline that. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Underline Stephen, he's important, and of the Holy Spirit. And also Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Fermaniac, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of uh, disciples in Jerusalem increased. Circle that. See, it begins with increase, ends with increase, rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now the very next sentence is Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs, and, and, and opposition arose against him. Which is to say that the person who was chosen for this work of compassion would soon have the chance in front of people who hated, opposed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would share gladly, willingly, excitedly his testimony and then he would be stoned to death. Think about that next time you volunteer at the pantry. I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) that's, that's the level, that's the faith level of the people who were engaged in the ministry of compassion. And to know just how powerful this moment is, we not only have to look at what happened after that little conflict was resolved, men were um, chosen and, and uh, some of them got stoned. We have to know what happened before. We need to know the backstory. Just before this scene, in, in chapter 6, A group of apostles, the sent ones, the ones who had been in Jesus' inner circle, they had just been grilled by religious leaders about their activity, and then they were flogged. They weren't killed only because Gamaliel stood up on their behalf and said, listen, it will blow over if there's nothing to it, so just let them go. We've seen this happen before. If there's nothing to it, it'll blow over. And so they were flogged and told never to speak the name of Jesus again, and they 
uh, and, and in the last couple of verses in chapter 5, they're walking out of their ordeal. They've just been beaten, and they are rejoicing, not because they're still alive or got let go, got out of it, but because they've been counted worthy of suffering for the sake of the name. That's powerful to me. Intense. Years ago, I heard Lindsay Davis Talk about visiting an assisted living home. And he, he visited with a woman there who was 103 years old. And he asked her what was good about being 103 years old. And she said, well, there's not a lot of peer pressure. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said for that way of life, right? For rising above the pressure to conform. And here are these followers of Jesus walking away from a beating, just happy that they get to do this very countercultural, radical, unpopular thing. They get to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. They are excited about God's call on their life. And even though they've been told not to and beaten to a bloody pulp so they wouldn't forget that point, they walk right back into the church. And when they get back to the community of believers, they find out this little spat has broken out. The Hellenists are picking a fight with the Hebrews because the Hebrews aren't including the Greek widows in their meal program. And you can just hear it, can't you? The Hellenists who spoke Greek standing in somebody's kitchen yelling at a person whose first language is Aramaic, wondering why a disproportionate number of food boxes are going to the Hebrews and not to the Greeks. It's not fair, they say, as if... Ministries of compassion have anything to do with being fair. And someone runs to get the pastor so he can fix it. I was writing this little bit right here. Literally, I was sitting in an airport listening to a couple right next to me having an argument while I'm, talk while I'm writing about this conflict. They were, standing uh, they were flying standby, and they weren't getting the flight they needed. So she was desperately finding, trying to find another way to get home. And you could tell she was getting more and more anxious about the whole thing as she scrolled through flight after very full flight. And when her voice started to rise, he got really nervous. I wasn't watching them. I was just listening. And he said, don't lose it. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. <laughs> and she snapped back, you're the one who's losing it. <laughs> right next to me there while I'm writing my message. <laughs> that's what happens when we get tired, right? We don't have bandwidth to give our best selves. And so I can understand how a lot of church can look like that because we've already given everything we've got at home and at work before we ever get to the retreat or get to the kids' ministry room or get to Epic or get to the small group we're leading or get to the pantry. I guess that's why I was so taken by last week's worship service at the lake. On Sunday morning, it brought me back to what is most important about community, to the vision of the church, being the church. I have to tell you, for those of you who weren't there, something spontaneous happened in that worship service Something pictures can't capture. It started on Saturday night, actually, when somebody on the worship team shared about how in her weakness, God had shown himself to be strong. 
And then on Sunday morning, several people stood up and spontaneously confessed past hurts and mistakes and asked for forgiveness. Even during communion, people were deeply caring for each other. And I don't want to paint this moment like it was some kind of mass confession. It wasn't, but there was definitely an atmosphere of transparency in the room that went deeper than, you know, than people talking about their addictions. It was real community. Nobody forced anybody to speak. The folks who stood up stood up spontaneously and spoke in front of 75 people about their unresolved pain or thoughts they'd been carrying or, or things they wanted to confess. It was as if we finally tasted the reality of James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other and you will be healed. Such a refreshing change of climate. In a time when so much of religious conversation takes the, takes the posture of critical blah on every single issue. When there's finger pointing on stage and hypocrisy on the, in the wings. There we were on the shore of a lake. What could be more biblical? Talking about the value of our relationships with each other, celebrating sobriety, saying we're sorry, confessing our sins, being the body of Christ. It's a practice we need to get more comfortable with in here. Because these are heart-strangling days in the church of Jesus Christ. We have conveniently forgotten Paul's advice to the Galatians. Friends, you were called to freedom. We're going to sing that line in the closing song. You were called to freedom. Only do not let yourself go backward. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to each other. Servants to each other. The whole law is, is summed up in a single command. You shall love the na- your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed yourself. That's Paul. Like I said, this biting and devouring, that's what happens when we get tired, when we don't have the bandwidth to give our best selves. So go back to that scene in Acts chapter 6 in this crisis moment between two groups. It becomes a teaching moment in the early church for us. There's a, they're the church leaders taking care of all the things. They're wearing themselves out, and the apostles are already limping because they've literally been beaten half to death, and now they're trying to serve meals. Nobody's happy. So the apostles call the community together and use this moment to better define what makes the church the church, and they define it with profound simplicity. I want you to look again at verse 3. Says, he says, Brothers and sisters, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility, the ministry of compassion, over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer and the ministry of the word. That's the center of what we do. That belongs to the spiritual leaders among us. Nothing should stand in the way of that mission. And ministries of compassion belong to the people. 
Folks, that's powerful. This was long before Paul wrote these amazing analogies about the body of Christ to the Corinthians and the Ephesians. This was when the church was persecuted. And it was also, notice verse 1 and verse 7, increasing like crazy. Even in the midst of conflict, the church was growing. And there were no consultants, no books to read. But the disciples not only caught God's vision, but, in the, but, but the immense danger of taking taking their eyes off that vision because of some pressure from some group or another to fill some need that anyone else in the church could fill because they saw that vision and saw the danger of taking their eyes off that vision. They chose to, to course correct sooner than later. I'm not going to wait till everybody's burned out. Right now, we're going to cast a clear vision the ministry of prayer and the word belongs to the spiritual leadership and the ministries of compassion belong to everybody. It was a call to step up. And in this day and time when the church, a depleted church, is asked to be so many things to so many people, it comes as a long, cool drink of water to me to read the wisdom of the first Christians who undoubtedly had their eyes on Jesus. Prayer and the ministry of the word are the center of what we do, and the ministries of compassion belong to the people. Prayer and the ministry of the word need to be the priority. And the ministries of compassion, the work of being with the least and the last and the lost, and not just them, but the children and youth and support groups and respite nights and mission projects and pantry work and Maxwell House, all of that, the work of the church belongs to the whole people of God. That message, that vision, that charge is as old as the church itself. So can I confess something? Yes. I have started a hundred prayer ministries. I've never started one that stuck, but I've started a hundred. At least it seems like that many. I get an idea, and so I make a call, and I recruit a leader. I get excited, and we plan some big things, and we muscle through those things, and we carry them out, and then nobody shows up, or or we just don't have another one, another thing to follow the first thing that we did. And so the whole thing kind of fizzles. And I've done this. I mean, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. But I've done this what feels like a hundred times. But last fall, the, the Lord got me into some conversations with people, Mark and, and Karen among them. We were talking about worship and prayer, and I really, I realized had to develop my own sense of call to prayer, to the ministry of prayer for this church. I couldn't, I couldn't hand it to somebody conveniently. I had to develop my own sense of call. And so I, I worked through it in my own, my own life, and I began to pray and seek the Lord. And I heard him say exactly what this passage is saying to all of us this morning. I heard him say, Carolyn, you can't, you can't hand this off to somebody. The prayer and the ministry of the word belongs the spiritual leadership of the church. And you've got to make sure you leave room for that. And so I'm committed to making ours a house of prayer. It's the right thing. 
It's why we started the 21 days of prayer. What I would be really good at is doing, you know, churning up one more one thing campaign, getting you guys to talk about what you can do and getting you to vi- sign up, do the volunteer thing. And, and it's not that we don't want you to find your place in the church. In fact, in a couple of weeks, Heather is going to tell you where you can go to, on, the, on our website to find job descriptions and to really pray into this yourself. But we didn't want to start there. Where we wanted to start was with prayer and the ministry of the word. And so that's what we've been doing. This 21 days of prayer for big hearts truly is our attempt at starting in the place of prayer. Let's pray for people who aren't worn out, who are called, who who may not yet be under this roof. And that, for the staff, I can tell you, is a big part of this prayer initiative. Praying for people who aren't already here. Because surely, God didn't stop generating people with a call just because a pandemic hit the, the, the globe. So let's pray. And let God lead us toward the people who are hungry to be the church. And we're going to pray through these 21 days. And next Saturday night, we're going to pray together in this room. And if you're a person of prayer who wants to pray and do the work of the church, prayer and the ministry of the word, I want to ask you to come. We'll be here at 6.30 p.m. There will be child care. We'll be done by 8. We're going to pray for the church, the church here and the church in Ukraine and the church we want to be and the church that will be. We will pray together in the context of worship. Mark Buchanan talks about years ago going to visit a famous church in New York City called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Brooklyn Tabernacle is known for their Tuesday night prayer gathering. It's Mark uh, Buchanan calls it 3,500 God-hungry people storming heaven for two hours. It's a big prayer gathering. On the Tuesday that he went to experience it for the first time, he actually got to have dinner with Jim Cimbala, the pastor. And he wrote this. He said, in in the course of the meal, Jim turned to me and said, Mark, do you know what the number one sin of the church in America is? It's not the plague of Internet pornography that is consuming our men. It's not that the divorce rate in the church is roughly the same as society at large. The number one sin of the church in America, he said, is that its pastors and leaders are not on their knees crying out to God, bring us the drug addicted, bring us the prostitutes, bring us the destitute, bring us the gang leaders, bring us those with AIDS, bring us the people nobody else wants, whom only you can heal, and let us love them in your name until they are whole. That's what Jim Simbola said to Mark. And Mark said in the face of that statement, he had no response because he never prayed like that. So he went home that night and he repented. He got on his knees and he began to cry out for those nobody else wants. That's the kind of prayer. I don't don't just want to learn it. I want to remember it because that has been our prayer for years now. Give us to people who don't fit in the other churches. Not you, the other ones. (laughs) Who haven't been reached. Who more than anything need a fair account of the gospel and a generous dose of grace. God, don't let us lose our heart for them just because the pandemic has given us a a distance from the world. 
If we have lost it, God, let us get our heart back. I want to ask you to start to pray with me. Stand up if you can. God, who are you inviting us to cry out for? Every single one of us, because every single heart in this room needs to be expanded again. Coming out of hibernation, coming out of self-protectiveness, every single heart in this room needs to be expanded for somebody, some flesh and blood body. Who is God asking you to cry out for? The poor, the brokenhearted, the prisoners? Whose salvation story hasn't been told, God, and we don't even know about them? Or who? Who, God, has a heart and a hunger, and we don't know about them either? God, give us the grace to keep prayer and the ministry of the word out front. Some ministries of compassion can belong to the people. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I, you know what? I just am hearing it right now. I, I can't keep praying without my own repentance, my own need for grace from, from Karen and Mark who came and we were in our, my office last, last fall and we were talking about a Saturday night prayer gathering and, and Chris and I were so tired. We were so tired. And I couldn't imagine giving up my Saturday night. You know, I just couldn't. And I just kind of drew the line right there as if God cannot do through me, in me, around me. So I'm sorry. I'll be there this Saturday. This Saturday. <laughs> and I'll be there any Saturday you want to be there. Crying out to God for His heart. His heart. And the person who really broke me was Chris Jones pastor in town who said that last but when, the, when the pandemic first started their church didn't have the opportunity to put everything online immediately so the worship team and the pastor with no intention of putting this out into the world would gather in a dark room on a Sunday morning just them and they would cry out to God. For weeks they did that. So I'll be here and I'll cry out to God if there's nobody or if there's everybody. Break our hearts, Lord. Break our hearts for the church. Break our hearts for this vehicle you've given us that welcomes and advances the kingdom of God and marches us into the throne room. Bring us out of hibernation. Give us the grace to come before you, feel you holding our faces and saying to us that you're a child of God. You're a child of God. And there are other people just like you 
who want to feel their face held, want to hear the breath of the Holy Spirit as he speaks. You're a child of God. 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 Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.